Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. Today, I'm joined by lead analyst Logan Motoshami to talk about the consumer price index, inflation, mortgage rates, and to dig into the details on a possible mortgage rate lockdown. Logan, welcome back to the podcast. It is wonderful to be here, Sarah. Lots going on this week and uh, lots to talk about. You have had an incredible week. So we published your mortgage rate lockdown story. We did the podcast on that. And since then, you have been on CNBC and just basically all over the airwaves talking about this. So you were on CNBC before the CPI data came out. So tell us what is going on with that. Yeah, um, CPI uh, day is very important to me because I like to track and show uh, people on Twitter uh, all the categories of uh, CPI inflation. But the main thing for me is always is uh, core CPI is really driven by shelter inflation, which uh, a lot of that is rent. And what happened in 2020, for people that are new and, and, and haven't followed my work, uh, in the summer of 2020, I, I, I talked about that existing home sales were going to be positive, which got a lot of tomato and cabbages thrown at me uh, for that <laughs> one, for that talk. But I also talked about how uh, the notion of major deflation in rents is kind of a misread. This was the cities are leaving uh, or, or people leaving the cities. The cities are done. Rent deflation is going to happen. And this will force major inventory increases, like, oh, no, like most people are working and the people that weren't were getting plugged in. So shelter inflation has the potential to come back much quicker than everybody thought. So it was hard enough to convince people that home prices might get insanely uh, out of control, but it was actually harder to convince people that rent inflation was about to get out of control because traditionally you don't have both uh, accelerating at the same time. And it's a very simple concept. Rental vacancy data has been falling for years. You have the biggest housing demographic patch ever recorded in history. Not everyone could buy a home, but if everyone's employed, then you have, you know, possibly household formations hitting areas that are not uh, ready for uh, that type of demand. And of course, the migration into certain parts of the U.S., you can see that with home prices and rent inflation. So about uh, February of 2021, before inflation data started to take off, I remember talking to the Washington Post and say, hey, listen, core inflation is going to take off faster and stay higher than the 2% level that the Fed has talked about, just because shelter inflation is about to take off. And it lags, right? The CPI data lags so much that uh, nobody can see that. Just like how the Case-Shiller home price index was lagging back in uh, the, the end of 2020, home prices were really accelerated by that point. Uh, so here we are, major rental inflation. Uh, this historic housing inflation event has to be categorized not just for home prices, but shelter inflation. Or you could tie it all to vacancy and inventory data uh, and, and demographics. But now we're in 2022 and people are just waiting for the inflation data to come back down more noticeably. So on CNBC, um, before the report came out, I said, you know, this is a 2023 story. If you're using CPI uh, inflation, how the BLS uh, tracks this data, it lags six months. So a lot of people are seeing rental uh, uh, inflation data start to cool down, especially in certain cities. 
So they naturally assume that rental inflation uh, per the BLS is going to is going to do the same. No, it's going to it's going to take at least until January, February till we start to see the turn. And then really by uh, 2023, toward the end, the comps of CPI are just going to be so high that it'll be more noticeable then. Uh, so that happened. And then what what occurred was uh, even though inflation, the headline fell, uh, from the recent highs, the core inflation still stayed very firm. And then again, that's a lot of that is shelter inflation and food inflation, which shelter inflation is just not going to be a story until uh, uh, next year. So people were anticipating that to occur. It's sticky, right? We always talk about housing inflation can be very sticky. And depending on who you, what, what, what model you follow, CPI is just, that's a, that's, that's going to happen down the line, even though some people can noticeably see in other indexes that rent inflation, the growth rate is falling. This is so, this is so tricky because we have all these people who need shelter and there's just not a lot of options, right? I mean, I mean, multifamily, they're building like crazy, but they are. And and, and here's, here's context to this discussion. We already have 143 million housing units out there, right? So uh, if, if we add a, you know, 20,000 here, 40,000 here, 50,000 here, that isn't really going to like make a dynamic change in the big picture, right? Uh, uh, it takes time for that to work out. Just like an in inventory, a total inventory data in, 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 in housing, right? Uh, when demand gets weaker, inventory accumulates. And we saw that in 2014, we see that in 2022, and we're still basically near all-time lows, especially when you adjust it to population. And now new listings data is falling faster than normal. But uh, so it'll work itself out. But the growth rate of rental inflation was so high that it can't sustain itself. I mean, simply wages are increasing. Of course, you know, that was the main sticking point when I talked to the Washington Post uh, last year, uh, that if wage growth really picks up, it'll have more legs than people would think. And you have to look at it as this. Most people are always working. Right. Most people always pay rent. Right. You don't purposely try to, like, get yourself evicted. Uh, and a lot of people just thought that we're going to have this major, major rental deflation story for years because nobody could, uh, you know, no jobs weren't coming back and people couldn't you know the exact opposite happened. Uh, and you could correlate it to simple rental vacancy data. So supply is coming. The growth rate of inflation for rent is cooling down, but it'll be a 2022 story. So what was so shocking about the uh, Consumer Price Index data on on uh, Monday? Is it Monday or Tuesday? Yeah, uh, it was Tuesday. And I, and I, th- I just think Wall Street was was ready for like a more uh, a cooler number. And they kind of traded up the market based on that. So when that didn't happen, then... Like all stock traders do, they freak out, right? Because <laughs> what do we say? Male stock traders tend to sell at anything. Homeowners, on the other hand, not soft, man. They just go to work. They go to, you know, they raise their kids. They pay their bills. Stock traders, and, you know, they could go all over the place. So that's, you know, the Dow was down over a thousand points. Uh, bond yields went up, you know, uh, a little bit. So, I think the setup was not correct, and that's why you saw a big reaction in the marketplace. So just remember, everyone, BLS data is sticky, just like it lagged uh, before. It's going to lag again. But in 2023, unless wage growth really kicks up, uh, um, the growth rate should fall. Just the laws of big numbers are working here. 
Uh, but again, that is a that's that's a story for next year, not so much this year. So we are, you know, we're about to have um, another Fed meeting, the FOMC meeting next week. And and this happens right before that. What what's the takeaway for the Fed and what can they possibly do at this point about any of it? You know, when I when, when I talked about this on Squat Box and CNBC, I said, I, I'm assuming the Federal Reserve knows this, that I mean, I can't believe they're they wouldn't know that the data lags. So I, I think they, they take some things into consideration. So most likely a 75 basis point hike is in. Um, you know, there, there's, there's just, there's not too much the Fed can do except cause people a lot more pain at this point, which I always say, listen, the Fed is telling you what they want. They want households to suffer. They want businesses to suffer. You people are spending too much money. I'm not kidding. The Federal Reserve is looking at you. Come on, stop it. Don't do it. <laughs> you know, you're making my job harder. So uh, it's an interesting dynamic. And, you know, we go back to when mortgage rates fell one and a quarter percent. Bond yields fell. Rates fell. Right. There's no QE anymore. There's no mortgage backed securities. Mortgage rates fell one and a quarter to go with the bond market. And then the Federal Reserve really did like a team effort to tell everybody, hey, we're serious, man. We'll create a recession if we need to. We're going to bring inflation down. And I think, you know, just just listening to how they talk and this how they their sentence structures. Now, you can see that this is a, a, a group of people that that got that have been getting bullied around so much. So they're talking tough. Right. The junkyard dog, you know, premise that uh, uh, we, we're going to do it, man. We're going to create a recession and people are going to lose their jobs. And we, we told you stop spending, you know, so uh, in, in essence, there's not too much they could do at this point. Housing went into a recession very quickly because mortgage rates rose so fast and home prices grew, grew so fast that the affordability got hit harder. But retail sales are still going. Industrial production is still going. Uh, jobs are still being created. Those things don't happen in recession. So even though uh, my six recession red flags are up, the final thing that would have to be the component is demand gets hit. Consumption gets so hit so hard that people start to lose their jobs, but it's much different right now. And we've talked about this for so long. You know, part of the America's back recovery model was, oh, by the way, job openings are going to hit 10 million. And I was like, what? Nope, job openings are going to hit 10 million. Early on, before we even got to 7 million, that's what we've talked about here at Housing Wire, and job openings got almost to 12 million, actually. The Federal Reserve looks at that and they say, well, the labor market's going to be uh, strong just because we don't have enough people, right? Baby boomers leave the workforce, they have to be replaced. And then if demand rises, you need more workers. So they're basing their labor, sh labor market strength off of that. Uh, again, my theme, no country has a Dorian Gray labor market. Guess what? We all age, we all leave, and we all die. Uh, so they look at this and they are very, very firm on price stability, right? It's not no longer in a sense, a dual mandate Federal Reserve. It's a it's kind of a, a where they're focused on one thing only, and they want to hike rates fast enough and then leave it there and then see what happens. Uh, and I think that's the story for uh, 2023. So I, I don't expect too much of a difference than what they talked about. Um, but again, you can't really do much about shelter inflation unless you want eight to 10 million people to lose their jobs. And I just I just believe that when the economy actually turns, we talk about this all year. It's a tug of war right now. 
between can the economy stay firm enough for the Fed to raise its rates to create a recession down the line and then they'll cut or uh, does the economy get weaker earlier, which forces them to maybe pivot? So far, the economy has stayed firm enough for them. So they're just head down going in, which, again, the other problem is that the dollar is too strong and it's causing havoc around the world. Uh, uh, and we have a, a war out there, a commodities war that's turning, by the way. Uh, um, so we, there's just a lot of things that are happening that, guess what, it's after 2020 and nothing is normal. Every year, there's some kind of uh, variable event, and we're all trying to make sense of it. Uh, uh, and that's why we do this podcast twice a week now. There's no longer absolutely. No we just we have to we have to look at this stuff and try to make sense of it. There's so much going on. So okay, so we're expecting a 75 basis point rate hike on the federal funds rate. What does that do to mortgage rates and to your prediction of how high they could go this year? Well, rates are basically right at the kind of the high level for the year. Uh, we've had a sharp move back up higher. And, you know, the counter to my, you know, six and a quarter, kind of six and a half level is that if the economy keeps on growing and the Federal Reserve has to do whatever it takes to crush the U.S. economy even more, uh, uh, that's your best case for rates to go higher here. And, and, and I say this as the 10-year yield today is literally just 15 basis points higher than what it was in 2018. That's it. Uh, so the bond market doesn't really buy into the mega growth kind of uh, economy, uh, but it is kind of keeping things in check uh, to what the Federal Reserve is trying to trying to run a tightrope here, trying to get people to spend less, trying to create higher unemployment. Remember, this is what they've talked about. I don't think people can appreciate the Federal Reserve wants higher unemployment rates. They want housing to be reset. Okay, this is not your ally. This is your enemy right now. So believe them. This is why we want we want a definition of a housing reset. So uh, they are gun ho with that. And as long as the economy stays firm, you know. So the next question is, can can rates and the bond yield really break out? We were about to, we tried to make a little test of the uh, highs at three fifty. We we haven't quite done that yet. So that's the thing to look forward for the rest of the year. Can the economy get stronger? Um, from where we were. And we see some of the data lines actually firming up, not like growing great, but just firming up. Gasoline prices have come down so much that you have an annual savings of maybe $500 billion more. So something to that nature where you have more disposable income. So uh, uh, it, it's just this tug of war right now. And I think I, I, I understand what the Fed is trying to do. Uh, some of their language makes them sound very unsensitive. And I think that's the frustration. Some people say, you know, some of these people make two, three, four hundred thousand dollars and they live in nice, cushy, single family homes. And they're telling people, hey, your job does not matter to us. Your children don't matter to us. We have to crush this inflation. And if it's higher unemployment, I mean, one of the things that were said recently is if we are in a recession, we might not even cut rates of inflation inside. There's where you know they're really just talking out of there, you know, because uh, they, they're just really just talking tough at this point. And they're just hoping that the labor market can come because, remember, rate hikes lag. Uh, the cost of interest right now is going up. So your credit card interest is going up uh, while inflation is high. And I think e even they are somewhat surprised how firm the consumer is. But we always go back to what? Household formation, household balance sheets, homeowners. Fixed debt product, rising wages, cash flows better. That explains why, because the 
hedge against inflation has been those homeowners who have a very low payment. So they ex, uh, their ex, you know their income power, their ex, disposable income is actually better than what people think, and I think that explains some of the uh, firmness in in retail sales and why it hasn't collapsed. Because remember, we always buy certain things every single day, so uh, uh, we just buy less of it on some products. Uh, but uh, it, it, nominal retail sales year over year is still is still uh, gr- growing very very high. It's just when you adjust it to inflation, it's uh, not as high as people think. Okay, given all those factors, are you saying that because uh, on this podcast, you have said six and a quarter, maybe a little bit higher is kind of what you see for the end of the year. Have you changed that at all? Yeah, no, uh, no, I'm always going to, I'm going to sit there because I, I just don't, I don't think the economy can really expand as much as people think. Uh, uh, with rates rising, it's a la- it's a lagging indicator. It's a lagging impact on the economy. Uh, but again, w- where I can be wrong is that the economy grows stronger, uh, uh, and that's what re- we've literally re- uh, retail sales, industrial production, real incomes, jobs have come better than what people expected. So as, if that continues, that can break your rates higher. But you you can't be in the seven to nine percent mortgage rate camp and be in a recession as well, right? Because we saw a taste of that. As soon as the economic data got weaker, bond yields fell, mortgage rates fell, and the Fed did whatever it could to try to prop it up. So there comes a point to where you could have an inflection. We're not at the inflection day to day. Remember, the, my six recession red flag model is not designed to talk about a recession when we're there. It's designed to be early before a recession happens so we can focus on different things. Just like in 2006, the last time this happened, uh, was in 2006. The recession didn't even happen until uh, 2008. So a lot of things can occur from now to then. So you keep focus on other items rather than the progression of an economic expansion, which in the last cycle was the longest economic and job expansion ever recorded in history. I never had my six recession red flags up. Uh, uh, COVID was an anomaly. It was a sh- it was a shock in the system. The economic data was getting better in 2020 in January, February. So guess what? We're we're here. And this is the inflection point. This is why data has to be looked at uh, uh, um, more aggressively. And let's be honest, China's in a recession. Europe's going in a recession, right? The U.S., again, once again, king dollar, the United States of America is holding everything up. But when the dollar gets too strong, it it just causes too much chaos. And uh, uh, eventually something does break when we're at this stage. But it'll be really interesting to see how the world, uh, uh, the, the Federal Reserves around the world try to maybe coordinate with the U.S. because the stronger dollar really is causing pain out there. Well, you know, okay, so so given that mortgage rates, even at their current level, say they don't break out, even at their current level, we are seeing, we're seeing signs that there could be a mortgage rate lockdown. And that's what you wrote about this this week. And I wanted to ask you about a specific part of that which was um, in the past when we've had these kind of downturns and then we've had an expansion, what helped in that expansion is that mortgage rates were able to fall up to 2% off of the low of the previous downturn. But in this, you know, because we got so far down, how do you go to it's not gonna happen. below that? Uh, it's not going to happen. Uh, um, we are, for that to occur, we need like 0.5 to 1.5% mortgage rates. It's not going to happen. It's, so it's, explain. Uh, so explain this whole thing so, about what yeah, you're so talking about. Like, 
Yeah, let's talk about the low point, right? It was two and a half to three and a half percent, right? That's that's the low one percent spread. The low this. point of mortgage rates. Yeah, low percent uh, of mortgage last, rates. Okay. Yeah. So mortgage rates are low point, the one percent bottom and it was about two and a half to three and a half percent. Now, to get two percent lower than that, that's zero point five percent mortgage rates to one and a half percent mortgage rates. Not gonna happen. Um so why, why we would we need at, to? Why would? Why are you looking for two percent? You know, explain the whole thing. Like, what is every what single for? economic cycle from 1981 when we go into a recession, uh, mortgage rates fell like two percent lower, uh, and and then when the economy recovered, mortgage rates went up, and then when we had a you know like a, like the 1990s, we had rates move up, but then they came back down even lower. You know, seven to nine percent mortgage rates became five to seven percent. You know. That kind of movement, that kind of downtrend that we've had for 40 years, for that to occur again would mean negative 10-year yields, would mean uh, almost a 0% mortgage rate. It's not going to occur. So what has occurred now, which is this is, I mean, I never believe, I never put any stock into the mortgage rate lockdown premise, but this is something interesting. We have, in effectively have more than half of the country right now at 4% or lower. So for them to have another refinance wave, you need mortgage rates to go, you know, uh, below two and a half percent. So they're kind of in a very good position. Uh, rates really shot up two and a half to six and a quarter uh, currently. So that's a four percent mortgage rate. So that's never occurred, right? So that's a that's a different situation here. And then we've never had mortgage rates recently stay above five percent for two years. So technically, just because of the unique dynamics in this uh, housing market, we actually have, for the first time, I believe, we have an authentic case that can be opened on a mortgage rate lockdown. Now, I, I still don't put much stock into this until I saw what happened when rates went to six and a quarter percent the first time. Uh, new listings data declined earlier and faster and more aggressive. When mortgage rates went to six and a quarter percent, and even when they fell from six and a quarter to five percent, it was still declining. So that is technically sellers are going, you know what? I don't want to buy a house at five to six percent mortgage rates. I'm just going to wait. So now this is only year one. The scientist in me says you need at least two or three years of this to, to really make this a thing. So next year is going to be even more. Uh, I mean, next year is going to be really exciting on that part. If we start to have mortgage rates, let's assume mortgage rates are five and a half to six and a half percent. And the new listings data is declining on a year of year basis, which is the last thing I want to see. And people just go, no, I, I, I'm not moving. I'm not. Then, yeah, because we always have traditional listings every single year. That's never, that's always been the case. Always, 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 always. That's never changed. But you need new listings data to grow. If we did not have weakness in demand and accumulation in rates for an inventory, the inventory data would even look worse right now. The only reason we saw that really big, or not big move, but a move up from the uh, lows about 870,000 uh, inventory to 1.3 million is that's a lot of accumulation of, of inventory to weakness in that. That's my whole premise about the 2019 uh, inventory levels. Weakness in demand accumulation is new listings. But what if it doesn't occur? You know, I, I, and I, I, I'm only saying this because there was a noticeable change in behavior 
when rates got to six and a quarter percent. Uh, and some people could say, it, like, if I had to counter uh, counter a mortgage rate lockdown, uh, homes are just too expensive. It's too expensive to move. It's not a mortgage rate lockdown. It's just homes are too expensive. So people just cut it out. You know, it's listed or the data so wild. Everything's so wild in 2022 is your house is such a big decision. Nobody wanted to deal with it when rates spiked. Okay. So that's why the second year is really important. Uh, if mortgage rates are five and a half to six and a half percent and we don't see the traditional listing growth that we saw, that only happened in 2020, by the way, 2020, we saw no seasonal growth and look how much chaos that happened. So you have to think that I'm thinking, Oh no. The, I'm thinking everything that could go wrong with housing in my mind has gone wrong. And this is like another one. So what I do not want to see next year is something like what we saw in 2020, where we don't see the inventory seasonal growth because people go, hey, I'm not. And all we get is the people that are basically, in a sense, have to sell uh, uh, because of kids or jobs or something. And that inventory channel since 2012 has not been that much to offset uh, some of the weakness that we've seen in, in years like in 2014 or, or 2018 or even in 2022. So this is a really big deal because this is not, I mean, it's a first world problem. Americans are doing great in their homes. They have very low mortgage payments versus their income. Their incomes are, uh, the wage growth is unbelievable this year. So their uh, their cash flow is so good. First world problem, but still you're talking about inventory channel releases, right? So uh, uh I have to put this into the equation just because of what the new listings data did. And uh, next year will be like a test. So I'm, I'm, I'm putting it out there and I'm trying to get people to focus on other things. Because remember, what was supposed to happen in 2022? Panic selling, right? Because American homeowners are stock traders, right? They were all going to run the sell to get out. Uh, baby boomers were so broke that they have to sell their homes. They have no money. Boy, you know, you, I, I picked up on this in October of 2021 uh, that this was the marketing gimmick. And this was, in theory, if you look back in the last 40 years, this was the most prolific time in U.S. history to test a panic selling premise because you have all these people with so much equity. Uh, and what 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 I've deemed to be the problem is that it's usually middle-aged men who talk about this and they just, I don't know what goes on in their life. They're always worried about some crazy thing happening. And these homeowners live in their homes, right? They don't just go up at EA. We have no plans to sell, but this YouTube guy told me, and this stock trader told me, and by the way, stock traders on Twitter, keep on doing those dual access charts. Bless your hearts. You're doing him so wrong that it's a great <laughs> entertainment. It's a great educational thing for me to do on Twitter. So I love my stock trader friends that are doing that, by the way. So um, again, a concern. Now, I, I'm different than most people. I love inventory growth choices. I love Boise. I love Phoenix. I love those markets because they're giving people choices again. What we saw in the last... Uh, Two years, starting from 2020, was not a positive. It was a detriment because uh, inventory shortage could create forced bidding. And we saw how bad it got January and February. It was really February. The savagely unhealthy housing market started in February because we saw what was, what was occurring. Uh, inventory channels broke so much that whatever was, whatever was left out there was just having too many people. You don't want that for shelter. So uh, we have to get back to a B&B &B market, boring and balanced, 
But the one thing that could hinder that is Americans looking, well, I've got a really great life. I'm just going to live my really great life. Right. And uh, it's just, it's frustrating. It's, it's not what I wanted to see, but it's what the data started to occur uh, in, at the end of June. I was like, wait a second, this is happening way too early. And I think now the country's got it because now, now the people see like some areas of new listings declines are down 20, 25 percent. So uh, and we're starting to get to the area where total inventory starts to fall in October. So um, it's just a savagely unhealthy housing market. I don't know yeah. what else to say. It's just like every I, if you're waiting for if you're waiting for boring and balanced. Right. Yeah, yeah, that, it's just that's not just right. Boring and balanced seems like a, a pipe dream. <laughs> I don't know anyone who's having a boring and balanced housing market, except to your point, homeowners are like, ah, I'm good. I've got, I've locked in this rate. This is part of the issue about having rates spike up as fast as it did. Um, and uh, it's just human beings make decisions, right? You know, when you list your house, you know where mortgage rates are. So, you know, you could buy that, that home. Wherever mortgage rates are, whenever you sell the house, you've done the payment, you know, you're good to go. When rates are this wild and you have a seasonal pattern, it, it changes your mind, right? And this is not the time, this is not the time in US history to have sellers change your mind, right? We got to get back, we got to right. get inventory up. So uh, uh, the areas that saw inventory growth back to 2019, any, any part of the US that's back to 2019 levels, you're off the savagely unhealthy housing market uh, list. But there's just parts of the U.S. that's that's not getting much inventory growth. And then the concern is that if mortgage rates do fall, and remember, when mortgage rates fall, if there even if there is a recession, it's a disproportional advantage to homeowners and sellers because most homeowners and sellers are employed, even in a recession. It's like 80 million homeowners right there. They're not 80 million people are going to lose their jobs in two months, right? So think of it in that aspect. That's why I've always talked about even in recessions, most people are employed. This is what the kind of the uh, housing crash people in 2020 and 2021 missed. Uh, uh, they, they saw the 20 to 30 million people that were employed tied to renter financial profiles. They assumed that was the entire uh, home buying profile. We had 133 million people still working that were mostly employed. Actually, all the people that were technically in the income brackets or home buyers got their jobs back by October of 2020. So always remember that when the next recession happens, majority of home buyers and sellers are technically always employed just because uh, you don't, I mean, take COVID out of the equation, of course. Right. Uh, the, the Think of the entire workforce, the 150 to 160 million people that are working. How many millions are unemployed? Who are the ones that are tied to rent financial? Who are the homeowners? Who are the home buyers, right? You have to do all these variables together. You can't just say one off that every person unemployed right now is a homeowner or a home buyer. No, it doesn't work that way. So we're, when we look at um, a potential for a mortgage rate lockdown, um, even if it doesn't happen, it feels like the inventory levels are so low. How do prices decrease in any meaningful way? And what is your prediction for so price here's, decreases? Here's a, here's a, yeah, here's an interesting, a lot of people would say that you need monthly supply to get back to six months to have national home price declines. Um, my, my premise has always been that you need inventory back to 2019 levels. Uh, and the the new listings data that does occur, right? Those people are actually cutting their prices to sell their homes, right? They might not be aggressive enough, but they still are. So you could have 
uh, uh, total inventory levels back to 2019 levels that were the four decade low and have prices decline. My argument is that you need two to three years of weakness. Uh, in 2018, uh, home prices uh, were falling, growth rate, right? Uh, real home prices were negative briefly in 2019. But we're talking about, you know, sales going from 5.72 million to 4.98 million, and then rates fell. And then that helped demand again. Here we have a different backdrop. Uh, this is why this is why my price growth model is really critical to my work. I, I lost my price growth model in 2021. So that was it. So anything, any price growth here is above my range. So naturally, if you get back to 2019 levels and rates stay high, you can get price cuts enough to where the duration can bring prices down. That's why I say 2019 levels, four months of supply. You don't need the six months supply data because uh, you you can have a framework like that, but it needs weakness and duration. So I always go patience, grasshopper, everyone, patience. You, and th that at least, that to me is my working model. That's why I try to get people to focus on inventory levels and rates and these things uh, based on affordability indexes. And that's why I talk about 2019 uh, uh, inventory levels so much. You can effectively get it there. You don't need 4 million active listings like in 2007, right? Uh, uh, that's that's not going to work. Uh, uh, so you can actually have uh, 2 million uh, active listings or 1.5 to 2 million and still have price ebbs and flows, right? Think ebbs and flows not crash. Everyone's so predicate. Poor Ivy Zellman talked about like 9% declines in two years. And then some people are mad at her for, she's too conservative. Home prices have to go down 30, 40% or, you know, and I'm like, ah, that takes, that, that takes a, that's a whole different conversation. That's why you have to think ebbs and flows. So weakness and demand, two years, rates have to stay high, duration, any areas that have 2019 uh, inventory are in play but it's going to have to be that second year. So 2022 is going to have home prices, what, 7 to 10% growth, total growth for the year, right? Home prices were still rising uh, throughout the year. So you don't get that big channel downturn. Uh, so to have negative year over year, you need duration, you need years of weakness and demand, and you need sellers willing to cut their prices enough. This is not the new home sales market. New home sales market is different. They're efficient. Uh, they cut their prices to sell their products because they do not want inventory to stay there and have other people go, I'm canceling because I want that deal. So the builders are way more efficient than the existing home sales marketplace. So uh, we there wasn't a 2022 story, uh, but you know, in 2023, if you have 2019 inventories, if you have mortgage rates stay high, if sales trends are falling, if price cuts are happening, those areas are definitely, and again, for me, I, I need nominal home prices to go down 18% for my model to work again, because you people screwed it all up. Right. You just jumped up, you sold your homes in bidding auctions and you messed up my model. And I was like, oh, so Listen, I, I can't. I am one of those I, home sellers. And I, 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 know, I, I absolutely and Elizabeth love Warren should tax you because she gets after <laughs> oil companies for, you know, gouging consumers and home sellers get scot free because they're voters. Right. You never see the government go, oh, those greedy home sellers, they forced biddings and, you know, uh, took away uh, inspections. You know, I was like, yeah. They did, and nobody cares, right? You know, so uh, different market demand. So when we're looking at all of the things we're looking at, what is the probability of seeing that in 2023? Like you list off all these factors that have to happen for rates, prices rates, to come down. Yeah, rates rates have to stay above 
5%. Uh, the higher rates go, the, more, the higher the probabilities. You need sellers who are really going to do it, right? Uh, you know, I, I was at a stock market event here uh, in, in Orange County, and one of my Wall Street friends was telling me about, you know, his neighbor's house in uh, in New Jersey was like, it's been it's been there for like 60 days. And they finally did a price cut about $10,000, nothing much. And it's, it's this not going to move. Sellers typically have an unrealistic uh, uh, attitude toward their house because rates have gone up, right? So you need sellers to cooperate, right? To list their homes accordingly to the weakness in demand. And that data flows, right? Transaction sales flow. And I just think, I just think so many people are stuck to 2005 to 2008 to 2011. And they think it's forced selling. We have transaction sales flow, right? That's what we see right now. Sales are falling. Uh, areas that see the weakest demand, those are the areas that are cutting prices. You focus on that, uh, you know, and a lot of people just, you know, people don't understand like 30% of all homes in a normal market have price cuts, right? It's when you get to 40 to 50 to 60%, that's where you start to see the sellers getting the clue, right? And to me, that's positive because the housing market has to be functional. It's gonna be here for the rest of the century. We can't have like, you know, be, the longer we're stuck in these in areas, the, the worse off longer term. So 2023 story, it's not, of course, the 2020, we're almost done for the year. So we have to move it for next year. These are the things that we'll look for. And you really need rates to stay high, right? Uh, uh, you, If rates fall, the, traditionally what happens if rates head toward 4%, uh, you get buyer's demand. Remember, sales levels are so low now that the bar isn't high to stabilize the market, right? So you're not going to get anything really happening until rates fall, right? So the adjustment has to be made by sellers at that point. Wow, a lot to process there. Glad we have you on every couple of days to walk us through it. Logan, thank you so much. How have the 2022 housing market forecast changed? Or how is the industry navigating the shift to a purchase-driven market? HousingWire's premium content program, HW Plus, answers questions like these and offers a variety of member-exclusive benefits that are tailored to what you need to stay competitive and agile in today's fast-paced market. Go to housingwire.com forward slash membership to join today. With your HW Plus membership, you get access to longer-form digital content, the HousingWire magazine, member-exclusive rates to in-person events like HousingWire Annual, and more. Thanks for listening to HousingWire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.